The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and joined as always by the Hearthstone historian, Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing all right. Had a pretty surreal day over on one of my other podcasts where uh, we've got an interview with Ben Lee. He's leaving the Hearthstone team, staying within Blizzard, so we'll certainly miss him here on the Hearthstone side. Um, but otherwise, I've been, you know, brushing up my Hearthstone history because we're going to take a, a dive through past metas and various different uh, design lessons that were learned throughout. Yeah, I want to, I wanted to do this discussion because uh, I think. Very often, Team Five's direction um, and their desire to change things or to push into things is lost to the average player when they think about a current meta environment. And I want to try and connect the dots for people so that they uh, they start to understand what was like the motivations uh, that spur team five to make all sorts of cards and all sorts of takes all sorts of directions um as a as a result of you know meta results in the past and i think that there's an interesting story to tell and i think the 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 final conclusion that you'll find is that uh like every important factor in the game like is is compensated by another. Like if you're if you're strengthening one aspect of the game, and that aspect is deemed to be too powerful or too dominant, and you want to weaken it, then there's always a price to pay. Another way, uh, in in the in the the really the magic of the game is about like when you find your element as a design team, you know how to steer a game in a certain direction and you're aware of all the different components that occur and your goal isn't necessarily to to keep Hearthstone the same way every year. You're going to make it different every year, but if you're able to understand what makes it different, right? If you're able to, uh, you know, push some buttons in certain directions and you understand okay the game this year is gonna be feel a little different because then you're much more in control and we're gonna go over it because early in hearthstone like early hearthstone years were not really the epitome of control uh and not controlling the archetype but control in terms of team five pushing the game in a certain direction and knowing what the outcome would be. Um, so, uh, but before we do that, I want to just a small introduction towards concept that we will use that are very familiar to every Hearthstone player. Uh, but why they're important to highlight right now is because they're basically the components that define the macro meta how a meta will shape up. And I'm going to go over it very, very quickly because it's very obvious, right? So you have a Hearthstone game and you have 
two ways. Like if you if you look at it a very uh, reductive way, there are two ways to win Hearthstone games, uh, and all of them involve like mostly dealing damage to the opponent. But that damage can go come from the board through minions, right? You can play minions, wait a turn till they wake up, and then they can start attacking the opponent the next turn. That is the core board-based gameplay uh, that we have. And then there's also off-board damage, right? We've got weapons, direct spells that can hit face. Charge minions are essentially the same off-board damage. Things like Leroy Jenkins is an off-board damage resource, even though it is a minion. So essentially, there are two ways, right? And you can have a lot of damage off the board. You can have less damage off the board. You can have uh, OTK potential with off-board damage, or you can have just repetitive damage. Like these are different like different different types of da- off-board damage, but they're all off the board and they're not reliant on minions. And when you look at what is the counterplay to those two main types of damage, you've got the counterplay for minions, which is either playing minions yourself or more importantly, removal, right? If you're running removal spells, you can pick off the minions that the opponent plays on the board and prevent that damage from happening. And the main way to prevent off-board damage is through is negating it with healing, with armor gain, and such. So, Hat, you remember how the game was in Classic? I do. Well, and also we have the button in the in the client. Like it's and it's not quite the same, but you can get the idea. You can go and play classic Hearthstone right now. Uh, and when you play the game in Classic, you get a sense of the power discrepancy between those two elements. When you think about Hearthstone in Classic, and you think about what was more powerful in Classic, was it minions or was it removal? I think the answer is very clearly that minions were stronger uh, in removal back in classic, though you had things like one mana execute, which was obviously very nice. Removal AOE tools to clear boards were very underdeveloped compared to minions. And in classic format, very often you would play a Chillwind Yeti, and that Chillwind Yeti, like if you innervated Chillwind Yeti as a druid, you would be able to deal like 12 damage with that single minion. Um, So if removal is weak and minions are strong, relatively, uh, then what happens is that minions stick. And what also happens is that comeback mechanics are very weak. Whoever gets ahead has a big advantage because removal is weak. It's hard to come back from a losing position. Yeah. The the place where I feel that the most uh, zoo versus mid-range druid, they, they just play a flame imp on one, and every single turn you might be able to remove one thing with your entire turn, and then they play another thing, and then they hit you with it, and then you just die to a doom guard. I mean... Yeah, it's not too different, though, from the current beta in terms of Druid. Druids never had, 
great removal. I mean, there were points in the meta where it did have great removal, but the point is true that in Classic, it was very easy to snowball a board lead and deal a lot of damage through repetitive minion presence, like repetitive minion attacks. Minions would stick for multiple turns and hit you in the face, and that would that would kill you. But another thing about Classic is that it also had a lot of direct damage. It didn't have OTK damage, right? But when you think about what was more powerful back then, was it the sustain or was it the damage? Then the answer is the damage. You had Leroy Jenkins, a lot of Leroy Jenkins combos with burst. You had uh, Force of Nature, Savage Roar. There was a lot of charge in the game. Charge minions were pretty prevalent. Arcane Golem, things like that. So... Again, when you think about what was more powerful, was it the direct damage or was it the sustain? Sustain wasn't really a thing. It wasn't really nearly as powerful. Healing was not costed as well as the damage spells. Yeah. And Lifesteal didn't exist in the game at the time either. So, like, Priest just kind of didn't do anything in Classic. Yeah, yeah. There was, so so you look at, you look at Classic... You had stronger minions than there was removal, and you had stronger damage tool than there was sustain. And what that meant is that proactivity was king. Um, and you would very, it was far like th- there was relatively high lethality in the format in terms of like Dax couldn't really survive without killing the opponent first uh or like, like he couldn't realistically drag the game out that long uh, even warrior control warrior back in the day like if you're facing a druid like they had inevitability on you you basically had to stay well out of lethal like it was pretty hard to stay out of force of nature savage or range you can try that right now it's a it's a difficult matchup so Classic was a very snowbally game. Remember, there was no generation. There was very little card draw. You mostly had card draw concentrated, like when you think about who who drew back then, a lot of cards. So you had Rogue, Miracle Rogue, right? You had Hunter until Buzzard uh, got, like, obviously Unleashed the Hounds got nerfed, and that became less of a thing. But there wasn't, like, a lot of draw, and obviously there was no generation whatsoever. The best draw in Classic was Life Tap. Yeah. There was, like, Warlock would draw because they had Life Tap, and that was a thing. And I remember discussions about how Life Tap was overpowered compared to, like, the draw um, engines that were available in other classes. Draw wasn't really that. Like, Ancient of Lore and Druid was, like... Seven mana, five five, draw two cards. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's an AI with a five five attached. That was a great deal back then. And yeah, and Ixar has said in AMAs they came close to nerfing life tap. It was just a different yeah. time back then. Yeah, the thing is though, the thing is the important to help is that because minions were stronger than removal, and because damage was stronger than healing. Uh, you didn't need that much card draw because games wouldn't last that very long. You didn't need to reload as much because if you can play a chill when Yeti and it hits the face uh, three times and deals 12 damage, when that chill when Yeti dies, 
you are less pressured to find substitutes. You are less pressured. You, there is less of a need to reload the board, right? I think this is an important thing that you're going to keep in mind as we progress through the expansions. Um, card draw and card generation or ways to reload your hand are less important when the first tools that you get, right, are already enough to get through a lot right to get to your goal if a chill and yeti is enough to deal 12 damage then you don't need the next minion as much uh so that's kind of what the game was in classic but the when you look at the expansions the first few expansions the first few sets what was the main focus when you think about like everything was printed uh during naxxramas and gvg i want to talk about those uh expansions specifically like you still had you got new direct damage spells you still got some removal though as i will say the removal wasn't that great uh that was printed but the main focus of those expansions was making minions more powerful um you look at haunted creeper nerubian egg you look at things like palleted shredder sludge belcher lots of death rattles lots of sticky stuff that made it even more difficult for opponents to be able to remove what the opponent develops so from chill when yetis we're going back we're going into pilot the treaders we're now going into dr boom territory right and dr boom was a very oppressive card uh back then because even if you like played big game hunter as the answer the boom bots would still do quite a bit of damage and Considering how difficult it is to just, how difficult it was back then to just remove what your opponent played, the game became even more snowballing through the board. And board-based gameplay was extremely dominant. You look at the removal in the set, and it's clear that at this time, in, in GVG and in Nax, they viewed removal as like a tech option that you played when needed. Flame Cannon is pretty clearly to kill stealth gadgets and auctioneers. Uh, and Light Bomb might be the only somewhat efficient removal spell in the set, but, like, Sabotage is in here. Dark Bomb saw a play because it had to, because we had nothing else, and it went face. And you had Bouncing Blade and Crush. Recycle had. Do you remember Recycle? Six mana. Six mana? Shuffle an enemy minion into your opponent's deck? It's in Tomb, except it goes into the wrong deck. <laughs> yeah. And it's for Drew, would like you ramp into a recycle and say go, that's your turn? Yeah. The point is that even the removal had no direction compared to the minions. When you look at the minions that were printed in GVG, Mech Warper, the Mech Tribe, that showed clear direction of, again, vomiting stats. But instead of classic, where you just play the... You, you would play, f like, vanilla minions and... Here you have added synergy and you could even vomit more stats per turn and have those stats be even more resilient to removal. And basically you in the, the after Nex and GVG, board-based minions, right? The board-based element, the damage through the minions became by far the most dominant way to win Hearthstone games through most strategies. And I'm saying most because there was there were always exceptions, but the game was generally trending in the direction of minions were far stronger than removal, and which means you know 
that games were very, very snowballing. It was very hard to play reactive back then. It was very hard to mount real comebacks. And when you think about the peak of that sort of curve stone that was starting to develop, you think of um, the Grand Tournament, you think about Secret Paladin, where back then, like, the strategy was just to play the best possible minion stat-wise on every single mana slot. They would play... Uh, shielded mini bot and haunted creeper on two on turn three they would play muster for battle on turn four they would play pile of the treader turn five belcher or lotheb into mysterious challenger into dr boom into Tyrion. that was like think about today today's hearthstone when you think about curving out how many decks succeed by curving out and back then that was the thing you would just curve out and the best way to answer that is curve out yourself because you're definitely not clearing a board of a mini bot muster for battle pilot the treader and sludge belcher with a light bomb let me tell you that so the game was just very curved stone because team five mostly they did not like card draw right they did not think of card generation uh, they did not think of ways to reload uh, 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 hands after removal happened. Uh, so removal was really weak, and you would just play on curve. Uh, many strategies did the same, and many strategies also played the same cards. You would have, I remember, like every class played Pilot the Treader and Dr. Boom. like And Belcher. Shredder and Belcher were all over the place. Yeah, because you, you would play Belcher in every deck because the only way to combat minions when they were so much stronger then removal is to play minions yourself. There's a fairly famous video from around the time by Firebat. Uh, you and I talked about it multiple times in prep for this episode, yeah. where the the biggest off-board strategy at the time that wasn't about stat-for-stat minions was Patron Warrior. And that was the thing that got nerfed. So the meta turned into... This was the meta where I got my first legend ever, was TGT, with Fel Reaver Druid. Because you would just innervate out an 8-8, and whatever they did didn't matter because you hit him with the 8-8. You had Haunted Creepers, you had Knife Jugglers, all these overpowered neutrals, uh, you, you know, Living Roots and the Savagers, whatever, and Secret Palm would just curve out. And it was just about doing the best thing on curve, and the thing that didn't do that got removed from the game. So you can tell it was a very different philosophy back then, and I mean, Patron was losing to it people had emotional reactions it also played battle rage it drew a bunch of cards when it got going i would be really curious to see what the data would say if we got a chance to look at that metagame because if there was ever a high skill cap deck in hearthstone history where our definition of high skill cap where maybe this is just dark material lifesteal dh with a 48 percent win rate but when it wins it looks crazy but th that was the thing that was different from all these minion decks and then it got turned off and it got nerfed, yes. And the the thing is, it was even more profound, the progression through GVG, uh, through NAS, GVG, and TGT, be, uh, and, and, and BlackRock, right? You, ha you had BlackRock as well, the uh, adventure between uh, GVG and TGT, is that, yeah, not only did you make minions more powerful, but you also, Team 5, hated burst damage. So they kept nerfing burst damage whenever it happened, whenever it occurred, further establishing the curve stone meta. But I think that something really changed. And I think the first signs 
of Team 5 saying, you know what? This is going to get old really fast. And we want to break that kind of trend of just playing the best possible minions stat-wise per mana slot. I think happened in League of Explorers. And though it's not really... I don't want to say that this is the ultimate... I don't want to say this is the pendulum design. This is the ultimate design card in Hearthstone. I think it's just a symptom of what Team 5 encountered, and that is Reno Jackson. When you think about Reno Jackson in League of Explorers, you think about Team 5 wanting to break Curvestone by making Highlander decks. And what did Reno Jackson... What was the effect? Heal you to full. So remember when I said sustain wasn't that wasn't that good? So this is, was like this desperate way to try and compensate decks that didn't try to play the best possible minions stat-wise per mana slot, and they would give them a full heal. Okay, you want to play, you don't want to play Curvestone? We're gonna reward you by playing a Highlander deck, and we're gonna give you a full heal gain. Like you go back to full life. At that point, so if you're facing a deck that pressures you every turn with incremental damage, and that deck doesn't have burst damage, so because we're nerfing the burst damage, right? Then, yeah, you get a full heal. You get to reset the game. And then maybe your bigger minions and your bigger win conditions, back then they weren't very profound, you would be able to win out the attrition war. Uh, so you look at Reno as an important symptom of Team 5 trying to alleviate the Curvestone meta. But there was also another very important thing that happened in, in, in League of Explorers, and it's more of a setup uh, uh, design decision, which was the introduction of Discover. Team 5 still, back then, did not like card draw. But they realized, I think, they realized that if they wanted to make removal stronger, in order to battle Curvestone, right? In order to be able to, to play removal that can actually answer the increasingly powerful minions that they introduced in previous set, then they would need to give decks ways to reload their hand. Because if you don't give decks ways to reload their hand and you increase the power of removal, what happens is that decks rise that aim to simply deplete resources and empty the opponent's deck and win that way without winning themselves, which is the full attrition decks, which is not Control Warrior in Classic, but more like Control Warrior a few years later. Yeah. Well, and they had just printed Justicar and TGT, and in this set, there are a couple cards that really lean into what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. Like Tank Cup, yeah. So, Well, Elise is important. Elise is in League of Explorers. And Elise enables you to just, this is the proto-Kazakasan where you just put 28 removal spells, Justicar, and Elise in your warrior deck, and all of a sudden you have a deck. And you also look at Priest with Entomb, which, not a super exciting card by today's standards, but in terms of a spell that allows an attrition-heavy deck to exist, and then you just win with their card? Classic Priest, like exactly what Priest players wanted to do. And also a way to remove a death rattle minion, which was exactly. very relevant back then. So, and yeah, Elise was was like it, uh, the next thing that I wanted to mention as a card because Elise is exactly the kind of card that enables an attrition deck that is like a pile of removal, right? So 
in a way, in League of Explorers, it was it was almost like the Band-Aid, right? They recognized what was happening with the game in terms of Curvestone, and they started to give those build-around legendaries to help other strategies fight. They gave Elise to potentially give like a Control Warrior deck or a Control Priest deck a way to to focus harder on removal cards or more removal slots on its deck and have this one card win condition. And then they also gave you Reno Jackson in order to encourage you encourage you not to play on curve with the best stats per mana slot, but have a different strategy and then having the ability to heal the full and reset the game. Uh, so League of Explorer was important uh, in that sense where you saw the first signs of an attempt from Team 5 to to break the mold, to, to break what they've done uh, in the previous expansions of like focusing on just stat vomit, right? Um, and you also saw the first introduction of Discover. And I think when Whispers came around, and that was the expansion where rotation happens, and a lot of the powerful minions were rotated that you like. You saw in Naxxramas and, and GVG, and suddenly Pallet Shredder wasn't in the game. Uh, you started to feel that more. Though still, stats were very dominant. But in Whispers, there were additional ways to close games late. And they introduced the Old Gods, which were kind of win conditions. Like the first prototypical win conditions in, in, in cards where you start building an, a, a, an entire strategy towards power spiking into that old god. And again, the old gods encourage you to focus away from just playing the best stats per mana slot and instead play things like, uh, you know, the Cthune worshippers that would buff the Cthune in hand. You would play a two mana, two, three. I mean, that's not great. That's no knife juggler, but it would buff your Cthune in your deck and build up to that final play where you would make the ultimate swing uh so you look at whispers yeah you still had stats minions and the meta back then was still highly determined like shaman was very dominant because uh uh, obviously trog totem golem stuff became the, the premier early game minions after things like hunter creeper uh rotated out but uh, um, you also started to see more late game strategies evolve. You started to see Control Warrior be very dominant, very prevalent, like with Fire War Axe and, and it's one mana execute that after which was nerfed. So you started to see different kind of strategies that weren't just curved stone. Yeah, there was a very powerful late game strategy that was highly variable every game. It was called Yog saran Yes, yes. You had Yog, which was, again, like the old gods were an attempt to encourage people to play different things other than the Curve Stone era, right? Like, not just Curve out with the most stats possible, which was highly encouraged in GVG and Naxxramas uh, expansions in particular. Though still, you had the growing pains, and I think that... Uh, um, over the next year with Whispers and Karazhan and Mean Streets of Gadgetan, you'd still had very powerful elements of just stats on curve. You look at patches, you look at Shaman in, in, in uh, One Night and Karazhan, which was one of the most dominant decks we've seen in, in the history of the game. But there was there were also different uh, other decks. You could, you could actually uh, play a strategy that wasn't just about, um, you know, 
with Druid that wasn't just about spinning out the most stats you can per per turn. Uh, in Mean Streets, I think that was like the peak of the polarizing experience where you would either play a Patches deck, right? Or you would play a Reno deck. Um, and you would have games, you know, super fast games between Patches decks like Rogue Warrior Shaman, where they would play the most aggressive uh, one-drops they could find and, and fight for board really, really hard. Or you would play Reno Mirrors, where the game would just drag out forever and nobody could kill anyone. Because finishers weren't very efficient back then. You couldn't really close games very con- convincingly. And it was just like wet noodle fights between Reno decks. Like, like And the games would, would really elongate. Because... Yeah, Team 5 tried to combat the Curve Stone meta, but they didn't really, and they gave you some old gods, but they, they, there wasn't really, uh, uh, like you, you think to today, there wasn't really uh, a clear build up to the late game that we have today. It's not, it wasn't very refined. And then I think, like, every time there's there was rotation, it's it's kind of a turning point. And just when I tell you that there wasn't really a refined way of closing games, Team 5 identified that. And you had Journey of a Girl uh, a launch with the introduction of quests. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And, and I think that it, it, it's kind of, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Because Team 5 realized, okay, we're giving these survivability tools and we're, pri- and we're trying to, to make these decks not play just Curvestone. We're trying to encourage you to play uh, a, a, a different type of strategy that maybe has more removal, maybe has more sustain, right? But we're not actually handing you great ways to close games. Uh, we gave you the old gods, but they were very, very restricted in terms of building deck building. You had to build them in very specific ways. But maybe we give you stuff that's like even more powerful, and you can start planning uh, towards closing the game from from turn one. And that was the quest. Now, yes, most of the quests in Journey of Angur were not good. Like most of them were not. Uh, 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 part of uh, like hugely uh, dominant in, in metas. You, th- you were being extremely diplomatic. A lot of these cards were straight garbage. They were straight garbage. They were straight garbage. Most of the quests were straight garbage, but I'm not talking about what ended up transpiring in terms of the meta back then. I am more talking about Team 5's approach and their mindset. And when you print Quest, that was the mindset. We kind of want to give people ways to build to to to, to finish games, uh, to have a plan, rather than just wet noodle fights between Reno decks, right? So uh, Journey of Vangoro ended up being like highly warped by the one quest that was actually powerful, and it was so powerful that it just outclassed every other late game strategy in quest rogue and eventually they nerfed that right um but again the outcome of the meta in the short term is not what i want to focus on i want to focus on the mindset of what team five were trying to do and when you look at i think uh knights of the frozen throne what did that introduce that introduced win conditions that were far more effective than the quest which were the death knights and the death knights i think Came, it's almost like it's almost like Team Five wanted uh, uh, decks to have ways to close out games, but they, they they realized that the more like that they they tried doing that and it didn't really work out. And the meta in Angora was was so aggressive that 
suddenly these death knights came in and there were like win conditions by themselves. Suddenly you had death knights that had infinite value. Something you suddenly you came from like Elise Starseeker and League of Explorers. You're now playing highly reliable singleton cards that can just outvalue entire decks altogether. Listeners, what listeners are thinking of that weren't playing back then, they're thinking Deathstalker Rexar right now. No, that card was bad for a year. No, no, no. We're talking about cards like Blood Reaver Gul'dan, where you would kill people with the hero power. Yeah, you would just wear them out. You would just wither them away. Uh, and, and you know, things like uh, the, the, the Druid Death Knight, uh, yeah, Malfurion, Malf- the Pestilent. Three attack every turn is a lot of attack. Yeah, yeah, that was like really, really strong. That would really help you wither down opponents, uh, 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 deplete their resources, and sustain yourself. That was a single p- card that was extremely powerful. That was uh, th- that was unprecedented in terms of like the kind of uh, um, prolonged sustain that it offered. The, some of these cards offered, or things like Frostlit Jaina. Those were, and and obviously Shadow Reaper Anduin. You had. It's only infinite value cards. You did have that with Jade Idol back in MSG was introduced. And Jade Idol really became super powerful in Knights of the Frozen Throne, obviously. But again, the game started to get to the position where, okay, we're starting to ramp up the value game. And we're ramping up the removal game at the same time, right? Because if you don't do that, if you ramp up the removal without ramping the reload, then decks just run out of cards. So the only way to balance the game and make it feel better when you're finally, you know, increasing the power of removal versus minions is to have more reload. And they gave you the ultimate, like, late game win conditions with the Death Knights that were very dominant throughout the next year. Some of them took more time than others, but yeah. You look at Kobolds, I think it was a complete continuation of, of Knights of the Tho- Frozen Throne, where you suddenly started to have these really powerful uh, uh, strategies that had insane inevitability, like Cube Warlock, insane value with, with Carnivorous Cube, uh, Raza Priest, obviously, and even the decks that would play on Curve, there were some, like the Kaliseth decks, right? Kaliseth Rogue. You remember that deck? You probably oh, I do. do. I played a lot of Keliseth Rogue, the first Rogue deck at the time that did not want to play Backstab, and it, that was weird back then. It was strange. Yeah, but the 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 point is that during that year, you really started, I think, to see Hearthstone mature as a game, where you moved away from Curve Stone. You look at things like Spreading Plague, right? Unprecedented card uh, uh, when you when you really think about it. A way to really stall out decks that try to attack you through the board. Yeah, the same set had Spreading Plague and Defile. You don't see those two cards together unless they're really looking for removal to be good. Yeah, exactly. You, like, you really started to feel in Kobolds and Knights of the Frozen Throne that... The pendulum between minions and removal started to swing. There was more like removal started to become increasingly powerful. And then when you removal is powerful, you need other ways to close the games and win conditions became more powerful too. And you also look at what they were trying to do that year. You look at Angoro, KFT, and Takobold, you had 
quests, heroes, and legendary weapons. The legendary weapons were up and down, but they still were trying. It was for every class. When some class had never seen a weapon before, they were clearly trying some different stuff to add some lethality, add some power, give each class something to do, and do something different. So the game maturing is exactly what happened here. This is when the game hit puberty is this year. Yeah, exactly. This is, I think, I think Knights of the Frozen Throne was really the expansion that said goodbye to Curvestone. That r- removal, like th- things like Defile, removal was was so strong that it it could stand decks like Murloc Paladin. I think if you remember, Murloc Paladin was an extremely powerful, aggressive deck that would just vomit stats out per turn and even a jadrid could hold up to that deck uh because of the the power and the, its stalling power right um and things like raza priest with that you know you really had the ability to push you constantly push you off the board and then kobolds and catacombs once it got psychic scream like you really started to feel oh removal is really good right now in the game hearthstone suddenly has extremely powerful removal cards something that it really didn't have in the fir- in its uh, first couple of years and you want to think about the next expansion the next year whether people uh, whether team five relaxed on removal no they did not because in which would something very important happened and that was the introduction of rush so remember when I said, you know, charge minions are kind of like direct damage. They were they're essentially off-board damage. But now you've started to print an entirely new minion type that acts as removal. Uh, because rush minions, that's what they are. They are removal. And instead of just relying on spells in order to push out an opponent off the board, you now started to see more removal uh, in the form of both minions and spells. And while Witchwood was the beginning, the power level of removal minions ramped up as the expansions progressed. Uh, uh, in Boomsday, you got additional removal tools. Uh, you got additional power in terms of pushing opponents off the board. And and in, with the introduction of Gen and Baku, uh, you start, like, Dex also got the option to have Again, infinite value buttons, right? Some of those Gen and Baku decks would be initiative-focused decks, right, that were aggressive in nature, but other ones like Odd Warrior were very much not the case. And when Boomsday launched, Odd Warrior became very powerful, right? Uh, was uh, And had, you know, Dr. Boom at the top end with, with tons of removal tools, and it would just win through attrition. And you know what happened in Boomsday back then? That was also happened to be one of the most polarized metas we've ever seen because you you still had some decks with insane lethality like quest rogue right but you also had super hard attrition and things like odd warrior uh you had like cube hunter again high value high power high lethality deck that could just grind you to dust uh and uh and such so I think removal really picked up even more with the introduction of the rush mechanics. And while Rastakhan's Rumble was kind of a dud expansion in terms of power level, again, when you think about the most powerful things that Rastakhan's Rumble introduced, there was almost no minions. There was like, there was almost no strategies that emerged back then where you would just 
play stats on curve and even uh master's call hunter the 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 hunter deck back in the day was like kind of the first hunter deck that would play for resources pretty hard you would play dire frenzy on a vicious scale hide and you would just sustain and you had death stalker rexar which was your infinite value button so the game really leaned towards uh playing things slower and and again not playing just stats on curve this expansion um, meta has my least favorite deck in Hearthstone history. What? You know what it is? What? Rusticon's uh, Rumble? Yes, that expansion. That meta. Okay, what's what was your least favorite deck in Hearthstone's history? Wall Priest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's- Mashog Enforcer, and it would just constantly bring back giant taunts over and over and over again so many times per game and eventually you would leave one up and get divine spirit interfired and die from full it was an absolute nightmare to play against yeah it was uh super grindy um the game was was really headed to to a far more grindy direction and you know i think team five felt that i think rastakan's rumble uh sort of traumatized them and when you look at the what happened next, you started to see the respond. Well, you could even see the response in that expansion. True, with all the nerfs. This was at the time the fastest nerf they'd ever done. And the nerfs they did, this was 13 days after the expansion released, right before the holiday season. They nerfed a bunch of classic set druid cards, Wild Growth and Nourish, which we're seeing a lot of play, were considered sacred cows. Uh, you could never do anything there. They nerfed those. They nerfed Chain Gang so that Shutterwalk would be bad. Uh, they nerfed Level Up to kill Dude Pal and Leeching Poison to kill Kingsbane Rogue. But they just, they moved really fast saying, this isn't working, this isn't fun, and they were still living under the shadow of Gen and Baku. But this is where they clearly pivoted saying, the things that we're trying aren't making enough of a difference. We've got to shake things up. And that was the first time they moved this fast. And it set it set the precedent for future sets to come. Yeah, and I think when you look at the next year, when when it start it starts with Rise and Shadow, Rise of Shadows. Yeah, this was the first expansion under Ben Lee, by the way. Right. So in Rise of Shadow, you started to see a, a different direction. I think they've learned in the past um, from the Death Knights that single value engine, infinite value engines, were highly polarizing. And they wanted to add more value into the game in order to still be able to sustain pressure against strong removal. But instead of concentrating the generation in like infinite value engine, they started to sprinkle it all around. And I think in Rise of Shadows and and afterwards in Savers of Doom, you started to see more generation across the board they started to increase the amount of generation because they still did not love card draw you still had card draw throughout hearthstone but they didn't love an abundance of draw so you started seeing like evil miscreant right rogue was a was a class known to um to draw a lot and in rise of shadows it got tools to to generate a lot of value with uh high sparing togwoggle and you know, other classes also got similar tools of of like just making you able to sustain pressure against high removal decks. Though that doesn't necessarily didn't help in that 
specific expansion because you had Dr. Boom Control Warrior um, dominating the format alongside Lackey Rogue, uh, uh, if you remember. Because again, single expansions are mostly going to be like when you look at Rise of Shadows post rotation, what's going to set the tone for that meta is mostly the three expansions of the previous year, right? Rather than what you're starting to build up towards now. And yeah, Controller was really strong that back then, it was really dominant. But as the game progressed throughout the year, you started to see even more value sprinkled all over the game, right? You look at Savers of Uldum. What happened in Savers of Uldum had? What did they bring back? They brought back Highlander decks. They brought back Zephyrus. They brought things, they designed things like Questroid, which was all about comeback potential, right? It was all about falling behind and, and coming back to the game. In Descent of Dragons, they introduced more hero cards that were different from Death Knights, but what really was profound about uh, uh, Descent of Dragons was how powerful Rush Minions became. You think about the Rush Minions that they print in Witchwood, and then you think about the Rush Minions that they print in Descent of Dragons over a two-year period. The power level Rush became absurd. And I remember playing in Descent of Dragons. Descent of Dragons was a very fun expansion, one of the most fun I've ever had. But it was pretty much impossible to stick minions to the board. We we got to a position where it was impossible to stick minions to the board. And the only way you could sustain, the only way you could continue to pressure and eventually win, beat your opponent, was to have an enormous amount of value. A gigantic pile of value. Yeah, I mean, in DoD, you were going to play against probably on turn 7, two 8-8s and a 5-2 weapon, and probably on turn 9, at least two more 8-8s, with, all with Rush. Your board wasn't going to live. You would, like, I remember the Sun of Dragons, you would play your Galakron, and you would make giant piles of stats, and then your opponent would play the Galakron, and they would move, they would remove all of your piles of stats and put their own piles of stats, and nobody could actually hit face until somebody eventually died um, no you could hit face you just went gala to get the 5-2 weapon you played crocs to go face or five you played dqa and then you would play leroy step leroy the next turn and then you would go face it was fine yeah yeah but the the, the point is that removal and rush minions really peaked uh like value they peaked at the center of dragons Yep. And when you think about like the entire year of Rise of Shadows to the Descent of Dragons, where I think in terms of design was inspired because you saw, like, you saw this year-long narrative that occurred with the villains and the explorers, right? With uh, the shadows and the explorers. Uh, and I think the game really started, I would say the modern period of Hearthstone started with really Rise of Shadows. But there was sort of a price to pay for all of that, you know, removal pile and rush pile. And again, you didn't really feel it as much in Descent of Dragons as you did when rotation occurred. When everything that happened before, uh, and when, when Witchwood, Boomsday Project, and Rastakhan's Rump rotated, and you only had to play with cards that are Rise of Shadows, Old Doom, and Descent of Dragons, and then Ashes of Outland, I think a lot of classes felt like they couldn't kill anything. Yeah, though don't forget about Galakron's Awakening because um, that Risky Skipper card, that was all right. Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, again, but Risky Skipper is just a, 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 
an example of how strong removal was uh, in the game. How strong removal is in the game. Uh, and when Ashes of Outland launched, you know, there was the exciting death, uh, uh, the new class of, of Demon Hunter. Pretty much the only class that could kill anyone was Demon Hunter and Warrior. Uh, while you had a bunch of Highlander decks and like infinite value generation decks that would just like formulate went noodle fights you'd have rogue and and mage and priest just sit there in 20 minute battles 25 minute battles where they would just punch each other with whatever generated threats they had at the at, at any moment and the only decks that could actually kill were enrage warrior and aggro dh yeah when you ban DH and Conquest, you would play a mage deck with 26 minions, two Book of Spectres, and two Conjurer's Calling to just play as many dumb idiots as you could and then double them when you got a minute. Yeah, so I think when you look at uh, the following year of Ashes of Outland into Skullman's Academy, I mean, Skullman's Academy really helped the game in the sense where it, in- it reintroduced some lethality and decks could actually kill opponents again uh multiple classes could actually kill opponents but i think that skullmans and followed by darkmoon fan are kind of had um you still had a lot of generation and generation was really prevalent compared to draw that there were very very loud complaints about how just the game evolved into clown fiesta you you definitely addressed like curvestone was dead there were only very, like, again, when I say that, there was very few decks that relied on just playing the most stats possible per turn. It wasn't super optimal to do that. It was really just pure Paladin. Like, not much else did that. Team 5's reluctance uh, to print draw to specific certain, certain classes and only give it, give a significant amount of draw to a few uh, kind of backfired in a way because they had to compensate so much for the increasing power of removal and rush minions with more generation until, you know, suddenly you printed generation every expansion and suddenly you had two years worth of generation and just decks would go into the late game with like 10 cards in hand and eight of them would be randomly generated and you had no idea what you were even playing against. So while, again... I think Skullman's Academy is an expansion that people found fun at the time, but I think you felt the piles of generation, right, in that year that were printed when, again, things rotated out and you got to Forge in the Barrens. And Forge in the Barrens, I think, was an expansion where, you know, a lot of the power dropped, but the one thing that remained was heightened generation and lack of lethality so you had decks like rush warrior be good because you would just suddenly play on curve again right you'd suddenly play things like death rattle demon hunter or elemental shaman where you just play stats on curve and that would be kind of good enough because nobody could kill anyone and you just play on curve that was back when people were saying that Alex Draws of the Lifebinder was an oppressive card that needed a balance just, adjustment. Yeah, that was too dam- too much damage. Or like Paladin, Paladin will play Sword of the Fallen and every Lustler mines over Sword of the Fallen because yeah. that was suddenly super, super powerful. 
I mean, one three sword was maybe too good. One three sword was probably like a little, yeah. little yeah. bit. I think, I think in many ways, um, Team Five during, I mean, just before and during Forge and the Barons, they start to understand from the previous year is that when you pile up too much generation, and in order to, you know, again, arms race the removal that you've introduced in order to. Uh, a combat curve stone and make the game more interesting and dynamic with more comeback potential, you're just missing out on a huge aspect of the game, which they have neglected for years or just, uh, you know, peppered just a little bit across the board with, with card draw and mostly in specific classes. And then they made the decision of, okay, we're introducing draw. And they started appearing in all sorts of interviews both in our in our podcast and in other podcasts as well, is that Hearthstone is a game, is a card game, and a card game you want to be able to draw cards and play them, right? And yeah. they went from they went from a, I think they changed their philosophy from like we're gonna give people ways to reload randomly, so games will be interesting and different every game. To oh, we want to have actual strategies in the format. Yeah, it was a year of of playing a Trollden video, and that had its ups and downs. But I mean, after the the how many DQAs do you have to see before you're tired of whatever the blowout is going to be, uh, or you know, World Kick Rogue generates how many prize plunders in a row? It just it, the Forge and the Barons. Benley was very clear in the BlizzCon line video saying it's bringing Hearthstone back to its roots, and it felt like what classic Hearthstone would be if they made it today. Very much with like uh, the stats on curve and all that, but also just letting people draw a little bit more, just a little bit more. No, yeah, I think that the decision to increase card draw came obviously far earlier on when you know generation was like at clown fiesta level. Uh, but forging the barons was sort of growing pains because while they did water down the power level of of pretty much everything and. You started to see more decks just play stats on curve again. Uh, that opened up uh, the do- the potential dominance of something like control priest because removal was still strong, right? You relaxed on the generation. You printed things like venomous scorpid, but you you got rid of things like mana cyclone, right? And when that occurred, you would just be able to empty decks. Right, so Forging the Barons was the first expansion where decks had finite value again, and that, and since removal was still strong, then Control Priest happened. And Control Priest is a deck that, when it's extremely dominant by just removing everything that you play, and that became a viable strat, and it also had a Lucia to combat whatever whatever lethality was left in the format, which things like Ilganoth and things like the Rogue Alexstrasza combo and Wicked Stabs, then that was also an issue. Uh, because, yeah, you try to compensate, you try to relax on the Clown Fiesta, you try to re- reduce value across the board, but what ended up happening is that the deck that was dominant was the one with the best removal tools and good generation, decent generation tools, raised dead and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and, and Samuro Apo was just such a powerful removal and sustain tool. 
Yeah, it was just like it was a period of Hearthstone where removal was still strong, but the the value engines that would uh, that are supposed to stand up to that kind of removal weren't quite there. But the reason why generation again was reduced was because Team Five intended not to have that much generation, and instead wanted to compensate by having more draw, and that was uh, obviously an incremental change that took over uh that took time to occur you had the growing pains and barons and then you had the whiplash effect in stormwind where clearly team five again injected tons of lethality into the format in order to make sure that attrition is not the most dominant thing and they also injected draw into the format because again for the first time i think in hearthstone's history they realized that draw needs to be a component that ha- that is in every class in the game that every class should have card draw that every class should be able to build some sort of consistent strategy and be able to to mount a a, a a serious late game assault in order to be able to close the game and just not and not just see all of its threats uh, be removed, uh, picked off one by one every turn, and have the game uh, prolonged to to like ridiculous uh, uh, length. Yeah, though I will say, uh, Barons had a good bit of the draw. There just wasn't the tools to make to take advantage of the same way. And in particular, Field Contact was like it was a good card in Barons, but it really got completely ridiculous in Stormwind. And the tradable mechanic allowed every like it's a great mechanic, but it did allow some games to feel a little samey because every class got to cycle a little bit, and then there were additional draw tools for almost everybody. On top of that, yeah. The thing is, though is that, again, when Team 5 introduced the draw, there were also some lingering cards from previous expansions that were designed not with this kind of abundance of draw. You look at things like Celestial Alignment and Octobot and Encanted's Flow and all all of these mana reduction uh, cards, uh, when you start to give decks more lethality, Paired with the draw that you added over the year, that what happened is lethality went crazy. And I think that lethality, late game lethality, peaked in United and Stormwind. It was not necessarily the result of quest lines that gave you win conditions because you saw, like, you ended up nerfing Sources Gambit, you, you nerfed the Mage Quest, and they found a Mazaki win condition. It wasn't that, it was just the fact that. The global mana reduction cards that were printed over the last year that were more in tune and more balanced towards high generation right, rather than high amounts of draw, right? So you can't really capitalize them on my, uh, 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 as much. Now that you can capitalize on them, they became super, super oppressive or super, super dominant. And I think they saw it. They clearly saw it in Stormwind. The game links shortened... Uh, Opponents killed each other by turn seven and eight. It was the exact opposite of what you saw in uh, Descent of Dragons and things like Ashes of Outland, where there were a lot of matchups of like wet noodle fights. And 
Now we had this expansion of Altaric Valley where there was a clear conscious effort to nerf the mana reduction cards and slow the game down. And then for some reason, they printed Kazakhstan. <laughs> I mean. And like, I think Kazakhstan is almost like a warning shot of like what happens. Because a lot of people, there are a lot of loud complaints about United and Stormwind and late game lethality. Uh, and now that you have Kazakhstan, I can tell you that this is this is sort of a warning shot that if you now reduce draw and you reduce late game lethality to a significant degree and you you do all of that, then suddenly the dominant deck may become something that just removes everything and plays a single card, a single to win condition again. So yeah. The the point is the point uh, I'm trying to make as as you can see is that Hearthstone throughout the years Team Five has always responded to certain meta elements being too strong by trying to combat them in certain ways, but there isn't a way to make the perfect meta of Hearthstone always, especially when like people complain always complain about different things we had Skullman's Academy and people complain about too much generation we have Alteric Valley and suddenly you have people complaining about too much draw right but you can't have no draw and no generation because if you have no draw and no generation then you have control uh priests and barons you have uh control warrior and rise of shadows you have Kazakhstan warrior right now that simply empties your deck and then Says good, you know, good night. You're out of resources. You're out of stuff. You can't kill me anymore. Yeah. Well, it also depends how good your removal is because there's another world where you have no draw, no generation, and you end up with pure paladin, where you just go stat for stat, and that, and you hope that their removal doesn't line up, and then you hit them with the true silver champion, and then and and that's it. Yeah. You go back and play in classic Hearthstone. The point is, if you don't want the game to be curved stone, right? If you want to have comeback mechanics. And you don't want to like games to just snowball because you played more stats than I did, and I won that way. Because this this kind of game gets old very fast, and you want exciting moments where there are swings. You're gonna need to have strong removal cards, right? You're gonna need them. But if you have a lot of strong removal cards, you need to be careful that the dominant thing doesn't become 29 removal cards in one single win condition, right? And to do that, you need to either increase a lot of you know. Um, have far more generation so it becomes increasingly difficult to outvalue you which leads to clown fiesta metas where you have 10 cards in hand and eight of them are randomly generated or you increase strategic consistency with more draw and you risk adding more late game lethality where there's a lot of bursts and a lot of otks right uh remember when we started this discussion i talked about damage right uh, you can un- uh, win games through a lot of off-board damage. And there are a lot of off-board strategies right now that are quite dominant that deal no minion damage. Things like Poison Rogue and Mozaki Mage, they don't even play minions. All of their damage is over the top. But if you take all of that away, when you still have significant life gain options that have grown in power over the years, then you're going to make the most dominant thing attrition and removal, and just healing. So you have to keep in mind that there's always a balance to be struck here, and there is no um, magic formula that creates a perfect meta. 
So what I do expect over the next year, what they're probably going to do is that they're going to keep the draw, right? They're not nerfing draw. They still want you to have, they want you to have strategic consistency, but they're fighting off the growing pains of having super powerful mana reduction cards that turn that draw into late game lethality that came in too fast. Yeah, well, that that feeling of being at the victim, being the victim of a whirlwind of cards just flurrying across the screen, drawing, you know, your Anaconda Druids and Mozaki Mages or whatever, where they draw 15 cards in a turn and generate a bunch of mana, and then you take 45 from hand or whatever. That's the stuff that they're moving away from. But drawing your cards is okay as long as sometimes when you do it, your shields are down. And, and card draw is very important because if you don't have that, and if you don't have ways to reload, you're just going to make Kazakhstan Control Warrior the best thing. Uh, so as we wind down and we went through pretty much all the expansions very, very, very quickly, but you got a sense of what's happening to the game and what can happen to the game. If you ignore certain things or you increase the power of other things too much, uh, uh, the point is that team five compared to early years of, of, of the game, like when the game was young, didn't really have a clear direction, right? Um, back then, it was like damage from hand bad, Leroy uninteractive, right? And minions is everything. And then they realized, oopsie, we just made people vomit stats, whatever, a very, uh, uh, you know, mindlessly vomit stats, and that was the best thing, and we need to combat that. You kind of got to the current direction. In the current direction of the last year and a half or maybe two years team five realized that card draw is not a dirty word it's not a dirty concept and we should have more of it to have strategic diversity and strategic consistency we just need to keep other elements in the game in mind when we increase the draw and we did that with by nerfing all of the mana reduction cards but it's it's gonna be a process like the other thing that you learn is that they can make a decision on something and you start seeing it in the first set, right? Where they've made that decision to do certain thing, but you usually only feel the effects of that a year later. So I think that the game in April post-rotation is going to feel very different again and it's going to be the byproduct over the last year of sets. And when that happens... We're going to see a new format, completely new format. And again, it's going to be difficult to, for me to tell you exactly what's going to happen. But I will tell you that there is no best answer to any one certain problem. And if you want to have a good game where lots of people enjoy it, I think the magic uh, formula is to try to appeal to a wide variety of players. You want every kind of player to have something that they enjoy doing. Because if you have a player that enjoys this kind of deck, and you have a player that enjoys a very different kind of deck, the only way both of them can be happy is by giving both of them decks that are viable in a format. And if you make a format that is one-dimensional, that is all about this one thing that you have to do, then all the players that are not excited about that thing are going to be alienated. 
right? Yeah. Uh, you can't make everybody happy all the time. It's difficult. Yeah. And I mean, everyone kind of has to take their turn, I think. But I don't know. The card draw does not inherently enable anything. It's when you make a bunch of things too efficient at the same time, then that enables things. But that can be said of anything in the game. You can make anything you want too good. But in in terms of in terms of card draw, it's really pick a, your poison. There is no other way to have a, a a balanced meta in Hearthstone where removal and comebacks mechanics are strong. And I think we've established why removal and comeback mechanics being strong is important for the game. You have to either have card draw or card generation. Then you need to make a decision: What would I rather face? Decks with high amounts of generation or decks with high amount of draw. My personal opinion is that I'd rather have abundance of draw rather than abundance of generation because I enjoy playing against strategies more than against created by cards where I can't play around. And lots of people do feel that way, though other people may want the Clown Fiesta uh more may enjoy that more i mean skullmance was fun i even enjoyed skullmance and it had high amounts of generation but again the question is how do you strike the balance how do you make decks uh feel different play differently in the same format where players that enjoy both of these things can find a a place to be right um but if you ignore resources if you ignore reload, you can do it for one expansion. Suddenly, 29 removal and one win condition becomes the thing to do. Um, so, yeah. Keep that in mind. There's no, like, OTKs are, are uh, is something that people are complaining about right now. But in a way, it keeps something like Kazakhstan Warrior right now in check to some degree. The high lethality that they enable is important because you have a deck that can gain armor to infinity, gain insane amounts of armor. So how else are you going to beat it? Like if you can't, if they kill every minion that you play, right? And they heal through any incremental damage that you deal, how else are you going to beat them? You kind of have to do OTKs. Now, if, again, uh, Ben Lee in Coin Concede, said that there will be less OTKs over the next year, right? He said that. What that means, right? If there are less OTKs, then one or two, one of two things needs to happen. Either removal and comeback mechanics need to be worse, which is something that I think people generally are not in favor of, or you need to have, you need to instill still a significant amount of draw in the game and a significant amount of generation to to be able to reload and be able to battle against high attrition strategies. Because if you take out OTKs, attrition becomes stronger. Yeah, and we have some of these tools already. You look at, you don't print a card like Multicaster without knowing this is coming. Because that's the kind of card that basically lets everybody get a little bit further into the deck and do a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. But when everybody, you know, we want, like, I, I hear designers talk about how they're intending to have a board-based meta, right? To have more of a board-based meta. My response is, unless that removal, that, like, 
if the minions are stronger than the removal, if you're going to push the game in a direction where minions become stronger than removal again, then we're going to go back to GVG days. I don't think I want that. No. Well, you have to be careful because you know what card is really good in a board-based meta is Snowfall Guardian. And that's a board-based card, but not in the way that you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, sure. But <laughs> when people say, I want board-based meta to come back to Hearthstone. I want the game to be board-based again. Then two, one or two things happen. Either you go back to Curvestone or you go into a dominant uh, attrition deck that is able to like pick off all of the threats that you display on the board and since off board things are you're making them weaker then it's going to be stronger it's going to be oh i don't need to deal with uh, with off board damage as much because uh people said they want board based meta again what i'm saying is that people shouldn't be overly excited about one element of the format suddenly becoming more powerful because there's always a price to pay right there's always a price to pay. You want to have variance in, in the late game. The price to pay could be Clown Fiesta late game where wet noodle fights happen and nobody can kill anyone. You want minions and board-based battle in the game. You, you want board-based meta again. Then you might go into either Curve Stone or Dr. Boom Control or your Baron's control, control Priest and such. You want more late game lethality. You might tune things too hard. And, and make that lethality too prevalent, and then you have OTK meta, like United and Storm and early Alterac Valley. The game is a fabric of strategies that are determined by these gameplay elements, and you can't just decide that one of them is unhealthy for the game and doesn't need to exist without paying some price. And the price is five mana for a Fell Reaver. That's what that price is, and we don't want to pay that. We don't want that. Any, like I don't know what we want or don't want, but I'm saying that everything has every decision has uh, long-term implications about how the format will look like. And card games are inher- inherently unfair. People are going to optimize and find the strategy that is the most likely to succeed. And whenever there is going to be a powerful and prevalent strategy, it's probably going to be complained about. But that doesn't mean that what it masters is an unhealthy element of the game, right? I mean, we've heard it all before. Card draw is bad for the game. Card generation is bad for the game. Removal being too good is, is bad for the game. When there's too much healing, it's bad for the game. When uh, when curve stone happens, it's bad for the game. Everything is bad for the game. So if everything is bad for the game, OTKs are bad for the game. Uh, charge minions are bad for the game. Damage from hand is bad for the game. So we should close up shop and not play Hearthstone because everything is just bad for the game. Or the correct answer is nothing is actually inherently unhealthy for the game. And it's all about striking the balance between all these elements. Almost nothing. It's almost like things are almost nothing. Turtle Mage Mage probably shouldn't happen. You probably shouldn't do Turtle Mage. Bakugan is probably my least favorite design ever. Yes. The cards that, for me, were my least favorite design because of how impossible they were to balance and how yeah. they made games increase, like, boringly consistent, right? It was just pressing buttons. I think that wasn't, wasn't great. You can have a pet peeve of yours, like, this card was the worst ever, 
or Lucia was the worst thing ever or, or, or things like that. But I think that players in the Hearthstone community need to come to terms with the fact that over the course of the history of the game, we've pretty much had every type of meta possible. We had board-based meta, we had off-board-based meta, we had OTKs, we had no OTKs, we had card draw, we had card generation, we had insanely lethality, we had wet noodles fights. And in every single one of these metas hat, people complain. Not the same people every time. And not the same complaints every time. I don't remember. I remember looking back at Skullman's Academy, one of my favorite expansions, but I remember being a Data Reaper report publisher and writer, and I remember people complaining incessantly about Skullman's Academy. I remember that. So people are going to complain about everything. And the key is just striking a balance between all of these different things so that there isn't this one element that, you know, is dominant over the rest and then attracts too much attention. That's all there is to do it. We've talked a few times as well about how Hearthstone players and strategy gamers in general are pattern recognition machines, and when there is something that is too good, they enter analysis mode of how it's a fundamental flaw, and they write a long Reddit post that I never read about how this sort of thing is bad for the game, and they need to not design these types of cards, when it's really just like, a couple numbers are too good to make the numbers worse. But there are a bunch of different ways... Hat, you just, you just, that one sentence that you just made is pretty much all it comes down to it. Nothing is actually fundamentally flawed. Except for Genenbaku. Genenbaku is fundamentally flawed. Because you can't actually balance it. Right. Almost everything is a tuning error, but when you can't tune it, then it it's either you make it or you don't. That's the only true design error I can see in the game's history, is them making it with no tuning. Right. So, so the so what like, I think it's just far more productive to come to the conclusion that nothing is fundamentally flawed if they if it can be tuned, rather than constantly tell Team Five every expansion that whatever prevalent and dominant thing in the game right now is fundamentally flawed. Yep. Right. When you tell them, when you tell them in Skullman's Academy that there's too much generation and generation is fundamentally flawed, and they say, okay, let's reduce generation, let's inject more card draw. And then a year later, you say, oh, there's too much card draw. Everybody's just OTKs me, and this is fundamentally flawed. And that's also bad for the game. And then they're going to reduce that, and then suddenly a nutrition control deck is going to be the dominant thing. And you t- tell me this is uninteractive, this is bad for the, for the game. That is a never-ending cycle that has occur- has been happening for eight years. For eight years now. <laughs> you know what's good for the game, Zach? You know what's good for the game? Face Hunter. Face Hunter's good for the game. No. Screw Face Hunter. I hate Face Hunter. Face Hunter is fundamentally flawed. All it does is just hit face. It's uninteractive and shouldn't be in the game. It does, it does two things. It face and it hunts. It's just face and then hunting. <laughs> That is that is what the game does. So which one is broken? You don't like the face, so you just want Hunter. So I'm a pretty exhaustive review of what was going on. I think this is very educational. Like all this stuff, the and it's worth noting, I think Stormwind is fascinating. It is the first and only meta where combo was pushed to the point where multiple classes did it on purpose that I can ever remember. 
True. But again, the reason why is because they injected draw to the game for other reasons, right? They injected draw because they wanted to alleviate reload without having too much generation. And, you know, and since we had mana reduction cards that were tuned not to have this amount of draw, then what happened in Stormwind happened. It wasn't because of the quest lines, though. People really need to understand that. Quest lines are like scapegoat. Because you nerfed a lot of the quest lines and you still had it after. Because it was just a, just a mana reduction per with a draw. But now, hopefully, next year, we're going to have draw with less mana reduction. There will be less OTKs. And I'm hoping, again, that if they, if they reduce the number of OTKs, which they probably should, they remember that it's, there's a danger that, again, we're going to see either curved stone or dominant attrition coming back to the format curved stone or grindstone you don't yeah. really want either of those uh, i mean cursed like they're bulls you want them sometimes grindstone in particular true attrition control being one of the actual best things to do in the format that has historically gone over very poorly because one of the biggest factors that matters in hearthstone being a good game to play on ladder is game length and don't overthink this. I remember during Rise of Shadows, one of the other podcasts I was on, well, this podcast didn't exist yet. I got emails over at Quinkseed and the of people saying, my friends are quitting because the games take too long. And I stopped playing on the train. I used to play games on the commute into the city. And I stopped doing that because I would run into one warrior matchup. It would be 25 minutes. I would lose connection and lose the game because it took too long. You can't have your average game length get too high in terms of time because then you just, a bunch of people stop playing because it's no longer convenient. Yeah. And remember that most players in Hearthstone play on mobile, not on yeah. their desktops. Hearthstone is very much a mobile game. So, yeah. Anyway, hopefully, listeners, uh, I hope we didn't drone on too uh, too hard here. Uh, I, I just wanted to you guys to, to, to look through Hearthstone's history and realize that pretty much everything that, uh, that could happen in a card game happened in Hearthstone. And people pretty much bitched about all of the things that happen. Uh, there is no magic formula. There is no meta that's perfect and it's not going to be complained about. It's all about striking a balance between different gameplay elements so that every type of player with different tastes will have something that they like doing. Um, Stormwind, why was there such a whiplash, such negativity? Because there was a population of players that like to sit around and square around with with fun janky stuff and uh the late game lethality kind of killed off all of those janky strategies that i like playing and take their time on uh stormwind was an expansion that was negatively received well there was some negative discourse that some people were really negative about it and some people weren't you know, but it, correction <laughs> correction stormwind was not a stormwind was not rostacon it was no. not Rostakan Rumble. It was a it was an expansion that some people loved, right? Because some people dig that. They like the late game lethality. They like the combo strategies being powerful. And some people didn't like that because they didn't like those strategies or they like other types of strategies that they felt were being pushed out, right? The discourse was as polarizing as the matchups. It was just as hard to win on Twitter as it was as a minion deck against one mana perp flame. Yes, but the conclusion here 
is that you probably you want to listen to the people who complained if uh, that if they didn't found things that they could enjoy right the key is is letting players with different taste with different taste find things that they enjoy and obviously it's hard to do in, in a card game but that's kind of the goal and the goal isn't to label things as fundamentally flawed this is fundamentally flawed we're never going to do this thing again there's no point. If you do that, in two years, within two years, you're going to run out of stuff to do as a card designer. I, I guarantee it. So, yeah. I feel like oh, yeah. if the discussion, if the community discussion fully realized what every action, what implication has for every action, I think, in general, feedback will be far more constructive and productive. So, keep that in mind. So, a future where there's productive discussion in Hearthstone. Zach, I think that is the most unrealistic meta you have ever predicted. Might be. Yeah. Well, thank you for this look back in Hearthstone history. It's been kind of, it's been fascinating scrolling through the sets as you talked about it and realizing how long it was where removal was just absolutely terrible for such a long period of time. Yeah, when you look at it, it's amazing. It really is remarkable. The, the evolution of the game from the early days to, to now, and you really see how Team 5 changed directions in a lot of things. Think about if they printed Vicious Fledgling in this standard, it would never survive ever on any turn that mattered. Yeah, I guess so. That is true. Like, you would bloom it out, they would kill it with anything. SI7 Extortion had. I mean, think about oh, SI7 man. Extortion. How insane this card is compared to, like, Compared to what sinister uh, sinister strike the three mana deal five to an undamaged minion, that was what we did back then. Seal fate in DOD was not even that far back. But yeah, like even just like hitting something with a cutlass with a blackwater cutlass, which the the alternate mode of a one mana two two weapon is still quite strong, and that's not even the main way the card is played or traded or whatever. Yeah. It's uh. You know, it's amazing how they push the numbers and the removal lately, and you can still kind of get away with it, and the games just feel a lot more dynamic. They also had this trend that they went into, which will be nice with less generation of removal spells being legendary. Look at what Priest does for removal, your Soul Mirrors, your Zyrellas, your your Samuros. These are supposed to be once a game. Doesn't necessarily happen with Renew and Pop rating, but those are leaving too. Where the idea of these big bombastic moments where you can push the stats a good bit. So yeah. Well, I'm glad we were able to go over this. So, everyone, this is going to be our show for the week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much as well to our supporters, VS Gold, VS Silver, Patreon. You're really great. Uh, Our next report is going to be next Thursday on the 10th. Uh, The balance changes that we had this week were not the most impactful. So I don't envision it being a report full of surprise. I mean, maybe we're wrong. If there are big matchup discrepancies for Kazakhstan Druid, after these changes, we're going to reset the data related for that archetype only. But we're going to go through, there's not going to be a week break. Uh, it's just a very minor change to Locust, which I think is more of a field-based change than it is something that, it's going to affect the numbers, but I think it's going to be very small. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll see. I mean, I think both of these balance changes actually qualify as bug fixes. Yeah, I guess. You see what I did? See? 
yeah, yeah. locusts is because locusts are bugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, I get it. Hat. Very good, very good. Hat. I wanted to make sure I explained that in case anyone didn't get it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the next podcast, we don't quite know when the time will be. I have a work trip the next weekend, so we can't record our normal time because I will be in a different state, part of the country, whatever. So we'll figure it out. Uh, might be delayed, might be skipped for next week. We'll we'll find it, figure it out, and let you know when we have more information. But we want to thank Evil Dave for the transcription of the podcast and Steven Sensei for the intro and outro. You're great. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Talk to you soon. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.